Hello and welcome to Ethical Fields uh, Community Wealth Building uh, Conversations. Today we're in conversation with Alan Crabb. Alan is the CEO and co-founder of uh, Posible and Birchall here in Australia. Hello, Alan. Hey, Wardy. Nice to, be, nice to join you on this one. Mate, I'm so excited to have you as a guest. Um, uh, maybe for those who haven't met you or haven't, have been hiding under a rock, uh, who haven't heard of Posible uh, or maybe not even Virtual, perhaps you can introduce yourself and crowdfunding. Um, how, how do I follow that intro? Um, so, yeah, so I, I kicked off um, Possible back in 2010 um, as, as I see one of the first crowdfunding platforms and uh, crowdfunding being, wasn't, it wasn't even a, a thing I said back when we kicked this year off back in 2010 uh, as a platform for people to, to raise funds for, for ideas um, and uh, kicked off with very much uh, in, the, in the creative industries for uh, projects uh, in the music, in the, in the film, um, and some of the uh, sort of uh, more community-based kind of projects um, and, uh, and sort of off very slow and very uh, small. Um, and again, with the model, it's it sort of evolved. It became a concept, became an industry and uh, evolved into uh, what, we, what we now um, call more generally crowdfunding or, or reward-based crowdfunding through Possible. Um, since Possible, we've been operating uh, we've distributed, I think, close to $77 million for, I think, close to 8,000 um, successful campaigns. Uh, we've hosted uh, many, many workshops, events, um, and uh, educated, I suppose, the industry and, and even Australia at the early days into what crowdfunding is. Uh, more recently, we've opened up uh, a new model of crowdfunding called equity crowdfunding uh, through virtual as you mentioned, and yeah, we became one of the first licensed platforms in Australia to provide uh, equity crowdfunding to small companies, startups, uh, and, and as we call brands as a way to raise capital, um, maybe for early stage seed rounds, um, or even series A, uh, rounds of capital for, for businesses from large numbers of investors, uh, which is obviously due to recent changes in regulations has made it possible to, to make this happen. So yeah, we've been uh, operating now, I'd say 10 years. Uh, last year we celebrated actually distributing across the two platforms, a hundred million dollars. So yeah, I, I'd like to think that we, we kind of know what we're doing in terms of crowdfunding. And I think uh, like we're, we're very keen to see this model expand and grow. And I think it's just the start of, uh, the start of something, um, particularly um, with that, as, as you, you call it, uh, what are you, the community wealth kind of building, uh, the collaborative kind of consumption, collaborative investment. This is the, uh, this is the, the space that we're in and, and, and we love that. Yeah. I think, uh, thank you for that introduction to crowdfunding. I, I mean, what I love is a uh, hundred million congratulations. Um, compared to the size of the economy though, you, you must, and you're the, market leader, you could argue that uh, crowdfunding is just a spec on the uh, funding map. Uh, I mean, is that its natural place or where do you think it needs to be in, in two years and five years time? Yeah, so like uh, I think from a reward-based 
perspective. Like uh, I think in terms of where it's finite space, um, we, we generally find it being most used in the likes of more emerging, um, emerging individuals um, in their industries. So for example, in the creative industries or maybe in the social impact space, even in the not-for-profit space, we, we see younger, uh, younger organizations or individuals using this as a model to, to kick things off. Um, and then I think people that graduate from, I suppose, that stage are, are looking at maybe more of a scalable um, organization and then they may look at equity crowdfunding to do that. So I think even with equity crowdfunding at this stage, um, like we're, we're seeing moves towards later stage investment where you may see larger volume. Um, and I think at this stage, like a, it's, it's relatively new in Australia. So it's um, like we're, we're at that stage probably at the moment where we're seeing that exponential kind of growth um, in volume, but also just generally awareness um, of this as a model. So I think like we're very, very early days in terms of equity crowdfunding, even globally, but you can see in certain jurisdictions where it has um, has evolved quite quickly um, that they, they, they are um, much more of a uh, significant contributor to the, uh, I suppose, the private capital space. Yeah. And is it the private capital space, startup funding, scale up funding, or other areas that get you most excited? Um, like I think like, uh, like with most people, um, anybody that knows crowdfunding and, and knows the campaigns that are generally out there raising awareness or, or having traction or success with the model, I think it's, um, for me, it's uh, just been part of that journey. Um, working with uh, individuals, if they're just trying to get their first gig um, or through to, I don't know, in the case of some companies, their Series A, um, they're, they're trying to onboard um, 5,000 investors potentially for a, for a deal. These kind of things, um, like uh, I, get, I get very excited. Um, I think it's just in my nature to be always inquisitive and always be um, involved in, in something that I'm, I could be passionate about. So um, like for example, we've hosted lots of social impact related investments more recently. Um, I feel like uh, I feel very connected and I feel very um, emotive in the same way as a lot of people that actually get behind these companies, if that makes sense. So I feel like I'm contributing and being part of hopefully uh, a better a better future, a better world in some ways. I, I think that's a beautiful way uh, to see yourself. And, and what, what strikes me as somebody who's observed a bit is that some of the most successful campaigns are not based on you're going to make a shit ton, like um, uh, wasn't hosted on virtual, but um, Food Connect was like selling a fair food system. Sheba, which was hosted on virtual, was about the drivers owning their rideshare business and, and providing a really solid niche to protect women uh, and provide a women-based Uber equivalent. These are really socially driven enterprises that have tapped into equity crowdfunding and been really successful at it. What, what do you think that's down to? Um, I, th I think it's like a, in, the, in the nature of, of how these 
maybe these organizations got started. I think, um, I think generally the people that are successful, um, they didn't start out um, like doing these things themselves. They started out with the help of other people to get it started. So I think it's, it's, a, it's part of their DNA typically. Um, and, and it may be that the people that are the groups that are um, doing these campaigns, um, they're not scared to ask as well, like ask for support, um, ask people to join um, them in this endeavor um, and rally that support. Um, quite often, maybe I think startups and particularly tech startups, um, I just know from, from my peers, like we generally, like we, we ask support generally from the people that are holding the, the, the wallet in terms of releasing capital to do things. And I think um, the people that have been successful are, um, they've, they've learned or they have taken the risk of asking a large number of people as to, to get on board from an early stage, hopefully through the awareness or through a campaign to get started. And then hopefully later, actually engaging them for a much uh, more comprehensive um, capital raise in the yeah. case of some of these investments. So. So, I mean, uh, there's there's more to talk about equity crowdfunding before we look at its future. One of the things that uh, you've explained to me in the past is about the cost of customer acquisition and the lifetime customer value model for retail brands in doing equity crowdfunding. Can you share that philosophy with our, our broader audience? Well, that's true. yeah. So. Yeah, this is a, a lot of the inspiration I see from some of the earlier sort of equity crowdfunded companies that used the model and, and used regulations I see to facilitate investment from large numbers um, or very large numbers I see of investors. And like the, um, from, from running a, a startup, from running possible, like I can see the value of that, that following and particularly that really engaged fan base for the brand or for the product or service that you provide. And um, I viewed, I suppose, like the investment opportunity or giving access to investment to the people that love you most as a powerful way to, to um, heighten that engagement from that following. Um, and like in the creative industries, they, they, have a, they have a concept of, and this going back quite a long time, of a thousand true fans. And um, I quite um, often seen it, particularly in the creative industries, that the artists were getting to the stage of becoming a sustainable um, artist when they got to a size where their fan base could sustain them. And that was through, generally through true fans. So that's fans that were consuming every uh, item, product, gig, whatever they were experience they were providing. And that became a sustainable way for that artist to exist without uh, support or without having to look at other channels to, to sustain themselves. So I, I view it in a similar way that, and, and I have a, a viewpoint as well of where that figure sits as well, like in terms of how many really, how many true fans for a brand it takes to become a sustainable business. 
um, and then heighten that again, like to become a large brand or a large company. What does that look like, and and how big does that engagement need to look like to um, not only become a domestic, uh, a large domestic brand, but potentially even an international brand? And we've seen some examples of this internationally. I think the the one that's most talked about, and we've talked about this before as well, like at Brewdog, um, that craft beer company in Australia or sorry in the UK, from a very small Scottish company, a very small Scottish town. Um, they onboarded a thousand investors, um, mostly locals actually. In their first round of investment, they raised a million pounds. Yeah. Um, they took that and they used that uh, tribe of support engagement then to to grow and to develop the brand. And and they really credit, if you look to their um, their messaging and their their brand, you can see that it's it's heavily it heavily involves that community. If that makes sense. It's brilliant. I mean, another way of saying it is like a thousand people on your mail list is one thing, a thousand people who've bought a brick in your craft brewery and a rewards campaign is worth more. And then if they are a, a shareholder through equity crowdfunding, they're worth more again. Hmm. For you, there's a pathway that you're seeing uh, a thousand fans at the artist level and a thousand brand ambassadors at the startup level and a thousand, I guess, true brand fans to be a large company. Is that the rule of a thousand you're saying? I'm kind of, yeah, you're, you're taking my, my thesis in, in some ways and you're, you're right. Yeah. Like a thousand for me um, tells a story. Yeah. I think uh, particularly in Australia, like if you get that engagement from a thousand investors, say, and your offer or even a thousand people supporting your campaign, um, that's a significant audience of people that are really into what you're doing. Yes. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, you're, you're right. Like I, I do think a thousand is, is a, in, in my view is a figure, but there, there probably is a, is it, there is a probably more accurate figure of what that looks like maybe in the business sense versus what it looks like in the creative industries. Sure. Sure. I mean, I, I think that's great. I want to talk to you about, say, the, the risks of uh, equity crowdfunding for people. So um, a lot would say that, you know, it's dumb money as opposed to smart money that uh, the angel investment or the uh, VC investment provides. What's your uh, counter to that thesis? Like, uh, I think a lot of... Uh I suppose judgment would be on potentially the the uh, the value that investors are getting um, at the stage of where they're getting in at. Um, so that that may be questionable, but in terms of smart versus, um, as you would say, <laughs> I'll not I'll not use these words, but uh, less sophisticated um, and investors like the. I think the true value is in in that in the numbers. Um, so, for example, like we, we do focus on uh, consumer-based companies and, and we focus on that for a reason because we know that with um, equity crowdfunding and, and particularly the process that we take companies through, um, like there is a degree of due diligence done as part of that. And if, for example, a consumer company 
is not able to market their own business just like they would a product or a service um, and they're not able to engage or create um, or use it I suppose the same tools um, as a typical product and service might use um, and, and at the moment it's probably more so digital um, but like, I, I feel like the successes of a campaign um, are directly connected to the success of, of how the business operates um, and like in, in my view and I didn't cover it um, around the customer acquisition but like word of mouth is pretty critical for, for most consumer brands. And like any ways to encourage better word of mouth or cheaper word of mouth um, can, can set a company up well to hopefully create more sustainable kind of revenues or more predictable revenues for the business going forward. So, um, sorry, I'm, I'm explaining many, many different reasons here, but like my view is like uh, from an investment perspective, um, the crowd generally, in my view, get it right because of the process, because of the aspects involved in preparing an offer and putting it out there, um, hopefully getting the right traction, um, having the right strategy to be successful. They're all part of the day-to-day -day of running a consumer company. Yeah. I think I like the parallel. If they're sophisticated enough to be a good retail brand, they should be sophisticated enough to run a campaign. And if that campaign is themselves and they can't make that work, uh, probably they can't make money work. But if they can make that work, uh, then it's exactly, a good point. Yeah. Um, some would say, uh, and we, you just touched on it, about it being a bad deal often for the public. It's high risk. Um, and that there's the potential, uh, I don't believe this personally, but there's the potential for charlatanism and, and consumers being ripped off. That's why um, only licensed intermediaries can provide equity crowdfunding. So what's your take to that risk or perceived risk in market? See, my, my, uh, my view on this is that, um, well, firstly, I suppose the, the process is not easy. So there's probably easier ways to raise capital in a, uh, in a, in a, in a, a less transparent and, uh, how do you say? Um, There's easier ways to pull a scam than try. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm trying to get to. So, um, <laughs> like, the, the process, like, for, for equity crowdfunding is, is incredibly transparent and, like this, the regulations in place for a reason and intermediaries like ourselves have to go through a process to ensure that uh, like as best we can ensure that the directors of the company and, and also the, the business and the model um, is um, like we, we reviewed and checked that, that these guys like they the are raising the capital um, like the, the, there's no, there's less risk from that perspective. Like it, there's obviously risks with the business, but from every other aspect in terms of the individuals behind the business, like we, we, we covered that off. So um, obviously like you, you can't, like we, we can't uh, predict 
um, like the future for for each of these individuals, but like we do enough to to verify that that they are the standing to be able to to raise through this channel. I think um, you can't mitigate enterprise risk like any enterprise, and eighty percent of them do fail. Um, Ninety five percent of companies uh, raising capital fail, right? Fifty percent of mergers fail, right? So you can't be responsible for that level of failure. Um, in fact, a large uh, shareholder base might help. Um, I want to paint a picture of what would happen if uh, to community wealth building, the ability for communities to invest in themselves, um, to create the pieces of infrastructure or the businesses that they want. If equity crowdfunding was deemed to have not worked and the regulations, uh, I know this isn't what you want to hear, but if the regulations were uh, repealed or, or turned back, you know, what would be the, out, be the problem with that? What would be lost? I think like, uh, if you look to what the restrictions were before the regulations changed, um, like just the ability to put yourself out there to the public. And as, if we go back to the very start, is asking people like to actually support them in this endeavor, you know? So, um, or in, even just inviting people in to be part of that journey. So it's, um, that's one aspect. Like, uh, so that's simply been able to promote and market that you're actually uh, open and you're open for business and you, you're open for investment from, from anyone as well. Um, and, then, and then secondly, I think just uh, from a technical perspective, it's just been able to legally facilitate it for large numbers of people. I think the restrictions, if they were taken away, um, we're, we're going back to the old fashioned way of raising capital, which my, is... My question is, what's so bad with the old fashioned way of raising capital? Well, it's, it's, you're relying on um, pretty much the, the top, what is it, one, two percent of the population to get access to opportunities and wealth creation. And, and that's been something that's always been and uh, has been getting worse, if that makes sense. So like, uh, if you looked at the worst scenario, I think for businesses, if we went back the way, is that that would further accelerate. You would end up having potentially a handful of people in the world that controlled pretty much 90, what was it 90% of the wealth of the world. Like that's generally what the direction that, was, that, we're, that we were going in. And it was, it, was, it was getting worse. I'm not sure if it was accelerating, but it was definitely getting worse where a smaller number of people held more of the wealth of the world. Yeah. So, so I think in this fact, and, and this is, I think, early days before we even launched, I was, I was showing this as well, like the significance of wealth creation from larger numbers of people. So when it comes to these larger companies, like say, for example, some of these bigger tech companies, which are um, valued at, we, we know where they're, they're all trillion dollar companies these days uh, since, the, since the pandemic, but 
if these companies had the opportunity from an early stage to take investment from hundreds, thousands, or hundreds of thousands of people, that will be wealth creation for lots of people rather than, than, than say, uh, I don't know, you probably have a dozen people that are, that are uh, have wealth of 50 billion plus, if that makes sense. So um, I think that's the, um, I think that's the biggest significance of particularly the, the regulations that did go into place to restrict this. Yeah. Clearly there was regulations in place for a reason at the time, but that had led to what we've seen as, as a wealth uh, distribution being very much towards the top, to the top 1%. Is it fair enough to say that equity crowdfunding is a democratization of um, wealth uh, capacity, wealth building capacity? Absolutely, yeah. So, um, like we even seen it like early days um, with some of the startups in the reward-based crowdfunding space. I think that's some of the inspiration for the equity side as well. But we've seen like Oculus Rift, um, which is an artificial until or sorry, not a uh, augmented reality. That's it. It's quite popularized for kids these days. But um, these guys had used reward-based crowdfunding as a way to. Um, to raise enough capital to, to create the first product. Um, unfortunately, the supporters of that, which were thousands, I said, to get this project off the ground, they didn't have equity in this, but it quickly got acquired um, by Facebook uh, for, I think it was already a unicorn status at this point. But if, for example, the regulations were in place for the company, for that company particularly in the US, they would have raised hopefully thousands or uh, even millions from potentially thousands of people. And that wealth creation for them founders and all of the shareholders would have been shared as opposed to two or three individuals taking away hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah, it's a beautiful contrast actually. You compare the BrewDog story where those first thousand locals had a 50x uh, return on investment, what that what it would have done for that Scottish community versus the um, Oculus Rift story where, you know, literally a half a dozen people got in on that um, Facebook acquisition. After. That's right, yeah. Um, thank you. Uh, I'm going to ask Gareth to bring up the model now and join us and um, get in... Uh, We'll just get you to clarify whether we've understood correctly where things go as business as usual and, and what the opportunity for equity crowdfunding looks like. So, Gareth, if you can emerge. Da, da, da. There he is. Uh, you've, got to give me, you've got to give me the magic sharing. Uh, magic share. Here we go. Thank you. There you go. You've created a lot of suspense here, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know it's, it's a bit like you said. You know, the the it's all been built up. You know. So. <laughs> okay. So uh, where did we start? We started up here. So um, we talked a bit about. Um, possible and then moving into virtual. So from reward-based crowdfunding, 
you know, initially focused on creatives to um, uh, a broader a broader set, and then starting at the crowdfunding. And I think you said you had um, eight thousand com campaigns and you know a hundred million across the two platforms, which is pretty impressive. And we spent a lot of time down here, so we haven't quite followed the normal the normal uh, process. We got sort of stuck in so. I, I suppose I put a lot of this in the sort of emerging kind of seeds of hope because it's, you know, what you've been doing kind of, kind of thing. We haven't actually sort of specified a, a magic wand feature yet. But I think you talked you know, quite a lot about, um, uh, you know, this, this, again, this sort of movement from reward-based uh, crowdfunding into to equity-based crowdfunding and the idea that, that is now sort of on a sort of a bit of an exponential trajectory. So you're not only seeing the social impact from that, you're seeing more and more people attracted to that and on more and more interest. And you gave some sort of a couple of great examples. So I think you sort of talked about Shiba, you know, so that um, uh, owners owning the platform. Um, and again, you know, being able to kind of ask from a larger number of people to support the development of that particular business. But also, the, I think the point there about the, the community ownership of that. Um, you also had the, the brew dog. So we've got, um, you know, and this was around the kind of the idea of the fan base. So it takes about a thousand people to kind of support the artist to make it, make it work. And I think you talked about that in terms of roughly kind of maybe the investors. So you had the brew dog example and I've got kind of a thousand small local Scots pulling in the, their direction. Um, uh, and I think that there was the extension there of, of moving out from this idea of you know, start smart versus dumb money. And I think when we move up to the, the current system, there'll be a, the contrast with that, you know, as, as it gets talked about as dumb money, but actually there's the kind of concept of the wisdom of the crowd. There's also the concept of all the checks and hurdles that you've got to go through to actually check that there's the base business there and there are able to. But then you've moved from this, um, this point of view of it's not just equity holders, they're advocates. You know, they're, they're people who want to be involved in your business and want to do things for you. So you're building up a, a, a collective that's going to help you and is interested in your product. And, that, and be interested to know, I guess, it's something about the success rate because of how that went. Because I think, you know, we, we sort of went here to almost be talking about part of the problems. And, you know, part of that is that, you know, lots and lots of businesses fail. You have a 90% failure rate plus, depending on which stats you read. Um, so if we're on it, if we take this away, we're unable to have, you know, to get people to be part of that journey to support the business and help promote it. And we're in a situation where we have this one to 2% of investors, sort of the angel kind of investors or the venture capital funds who really can control that wealth. And I think the other one you pointed out was, you know, or you see, um, you know, so we see a concentration of wealth from the sale of those companies. And we talked about Oculus Rift. Um, rather than being able to distribute wealth amongst the different shareholders. And I think it's, it's kind of interesting having, um, you know, an interesting counterpoint for me is having grown up in the UK when it was the, you know, we started to see sort of assets being sold off to the public. You know, that was seen as a way of 
distributing wealth from from the state into people who could have shares. And I think, you know, that was British Telecom. I think in here it was Telstra. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's a there's a kind of a parallel there in some ways of you know and there's pros and cons to that particular kind of mechanism but there's a sort of a parallel there in the sense of you know being able to um, you know have more people as investors from the get-go rather than uh, only a few yeah that's great so I, I, I Thank you. So I'm interested in to, to see in terms of the company, you know, to hear in terms of the companies you've been talking about, what, you know, what the kind, have you got any stats on the sort of success rate? Uh, so for people that's accessing reward-based crowdfunding, um, I think we see across most platforms, I think a success rate of around 30 to 60%. Um, and it's generally um, the success, the success of a platform. Um, is, is generally based on the support and guidance that the platforms provide. So I think in terms of uh, equity-based crowdfunding, um, I think it could be similar globally, um, but it may be more relevant to the process um, that the platforms operate. So I think in terms of... Uh, success for equity honestly i don't know the specific stats but i know in australia it's it's probably higher Uh, i would say it's probably between 60 and 80 percent success uh, rate but it's based on um, a slightly different process i think so that's great that's really that's really useful i've kind of i think i've asked the, the wrong question in a way so what i was actually trying to get is the the companies that who've received the funding oh, do, success, yeah, do you have any sort of idea mm. about their success rate um i think it's a bit too early in australia to assess this um i think i, I would probably need to dig out stats on this in other jurisdictions particularly for equity crowdfunding mm. um generally it's it's fair to say that in the reward-based crowdfunding space um, the success rate probably is is maybe not so relevant because uh, they're quite they're more project based. But we have seen significant numbers of businesses using this or leveraging it at the early stage to get started. So it um, it's maybe less relevant. Yeah. Now, I'd be I'd be interested if if um, to. to there are stats that do point in direction because I think one of the hypotheses, you know, the, the hypothesis that we'd have is that idea of the wisdom of crowds across, mm. you know, and this this applies across some of the other things around community investment and things like that. Is that you've got a whole bunch of people looking at this in, in a different way, so and yeah. then they're becoming advocates, so that um, uh, you know you'd hope that that would actually uptick the the kind of yeah. Success. I, well, I'll see if you dig out. I think the, the best market at the moment is the UK for equity crowdfunding. It's been around there since about 2012, 2013. More popular, obviously, in the last few years. But um, I think even looking at the early successes uh, in that market, you will hopefully see a trend. Um, and, and maybe even a particularly in certain industries, like it's, it's one of the reasons why we focused on consumer companies 
Um, so you, you will probably see different successes in different industries, I reckon. Have a look. Great. Okay, I, I should. Um, I will disappear again, and uh, you can carry on. Thank you, Gareth. So I think we um, we'll tidy this up a bit, uh, Alan, in terms of um, the the actual final graphic. But what what was interesting to me is there's this like tension potentially between business as usual, where um, you know, very few investors have a large amount of equity in the brands that we love and a new potential, which is hundreds, if not thousands of investors co-creating brands that um, they can all benefit from when they grow. And <clears throat> I want to look at what can, what could come up in the future and how you can move towards that sort of more utopian vision that uh, creates wealth for the many and avoid some of the pitfalls of some of the uh, wealth for the few. Um, for me, on my screen, Alan, I've got Gareth put, looks to be frozen. There we go. So um, I'm not sure if we were recording you or, or Gareth then. But, yeah, I'm going to give you an example um, so with technology like blockchain coming along, uh, it's still there. <laughs> it had a big ICO, an initial crowdfunding offer, was all the talk of 2017. Um, what do you make of this technology, its relevance to crowdfunding, and how can you move it towards uh, wealth for the masses instead of wealth for the few? Um, sorry, sorry, what example were you mentioning? Oh, blockchain. Yeah. Uh, blockchain more generally. Um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's, uh, it's, it's super interesting, I think, this space, because it's becoming, like technology, in my view, um, like it allows you to automate and, and reduce costs of old traditional models that, uh, that should have been disrupted a long time ago. Um, and I think... These, the technology, particularly in the payment space, um, has created so much, has exerted so much change, um, not only in developed countries or, or developing countries, but like in, in just your day-to-day -day behaviors. Um, and I think like with any new technology, and, and I view like blockchain as, a, as, a, as like a platform, as a framework, that can be used similar to how the internet uh, was first developed. Um, it's, it's used hopefully primarily in the payment space to create change. And I think I was quite fortunate to be at the beginning of a revolution in online payments. Uh, like I was one of the first platforms to leverage um, as a marketplace, the likes of PayPal or um, what became then of Stripe and a few of these other services back in the early days. Um, like that revolution, revolutionized business more generally and, and even the small guy. So, and I, I think even with, even looking even more recently, like payment innovation in the space and the way that I suppose the more innovative payment services out there at the moment, they're creating change in, in industries every day. And 
uh, if you, you just need to look to, to China and how advanced they have become. Um, and, and they've had issues and, and pandemics and, and things that have occurred that we're experiencing now that has exerted the speed of some of this. But um, what we're living through at the moment is seeing that acceleration of um, uh, innovation in the payments and facilitating large um, like collaborative uh, platforms, um, making it very efficient and um, accessible to, to do these here large um, uh, model changes, very disruptive model changes, yeah. Is there a particular example, uh, like Stripe entering into the market was particularly innovative for you? Is there another that you can point to? Um, it's interesting, like my developer sent me uh, an example of a company that's, that's now using the Ripple network, which is, I suppose it's a, uh, is it, I think it's viewed as a blockchain it's on um, company. <laughs> yeah. it's, I don't know if it's uh, separate from the, if, is it on the blockchain? It probably is actually, yeah. So, or you, at least using blockchain technology yeah. in some respects. So like uh, there's a there's company in Sydney I came across called uh, Flash FX. And it looks like they're competing directly with the likes of, I would say is um, the previous generation being like TransferWise or OFX. These guys are taking it to the next level of, okay, we're creating a whole new platform that exists using the Ripple network too quickly. And I, and I mean, pretty much instantly transact internationally, cross-border, um, using a whole new platform to do it. Um, and taking the costs, uh, cost efficiency from not using other networks like Swift or other platforms, to be able to facilitate that. And I think that's super interesting. Like this is one example of many. This is the one I've only spotted this week. I said, I didn't know these guys even existed until, uh, until this week, but you will see lots of these startups kicking off now, I think in the, in the times that we're in, um, and we'll see these guys um, grow as fast, if not faster than the counterparts from the previous generation. And they're phenomenal as well. Like we're talking, uh, we're talking three, four years ago. We're not talking about um, banks that, that that were set up fifty years ago. Yeah. So, so the the change that these platforms are creating and providing a platform for um, very much disruptive teams to take it and and hopefully leverage it for uh, all new products and services. <clears throat> Um, what role do you think equity crowdfunding has as a pandemic response? Um, let me give you a, a thesis to work from. So we were talking about if you create a million jobs uh, in publicly listed companies, uh, that has a flow on financial effect. If you create a million jobs in community owned uh, organisations, there's still a million jobs, but there is a, a, a difference in the distribution. So with that as a sort of reference point, what, do you th what role do you think equity crowdfunding will play in the pandemic? 
I think it's it's going to be used more effectively for companies at this stage based on the current regulations. So, like uh, the regulations are are specific in terms of what securities can be provided, and it's very much geared towards private companies and of a certain size. So, like there is still restrictions around equity crowdfunding more generally. That that means that it does have to fit a certain box to to as to 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 make it work. Um, Clearly, Vic, there's there's companies and organisations out there that will um, definitely be able to leverage this, particularly at the moment if they're affected, um, and they've got that support base that can help them get through this period and invest for the future. If that makes sense. So, and, and you will generally see, I think, the companies that are adapting the fastest and using models like this to accelerate that speed as well. So. Um, like obviously, at the very start of things, there was lots of unknowns about whether this is actually a sustainable model, even through this period. And uh, to be quite honest, I, I wasn't quite sure myself. And the only way of testing it is putting, a, putting someone out there. And fortunately, we had companies that were prepared to, to do that and, and ask the public, okay, this is the hardest time that we've ever lived in. Can we get your support as to, to invest? This is what we're planning to do. And uh, if you want to, if you believe in what we're trying to do and get through this phase, um, get on board. You know, and that has has generally resonated with people. And I and I feel like the general public is supportive of these companies, um, particularly people that are not directly affected by what's going on. So, uh, particularly financially. Um, so, and and also. Like there is opportunities to talk to people, uh, to get in front of people at a time like no other as well, particularly through digital channels. So I think only through digital channels. <laughs> well, if you're in Melbourne, yeah, at the moment. <laughs> um, so a pandemic you think will be a catalyst for growth in uh, equity crowdfunding or maybe less, uh, less growth, but still some. Uh, what's your view of it? Yeah, it's, it's been interesting. Like, um, I, I suppose, like we, we have just um, pushed through, I think that initial phase where there was lots of uncertainty. Um, and, and I think we're, we're feeling that businesses are, um, have, are just embracing this as a model because quite often the, the people that would be investing in these deals um, are less engaged at the moment because, um, and, and I feel like, um, and it, it could get even worse where like investors are, are just taking a, a cautious approach at the moment, more cautious than how businesses want to operate. Yeah. And so, um, and that's, that will restrict capital. So I think businesses uh, will be looking at alternatives and I think the businesses are the, the founders that can see the opportunities, not only in just raising the capital, but also in that engagement. Um, they, they, will, they will adopt this and, and hopefully be successful with it as well. Okay. Um, a question on um, legislation. If you could have a, one piece of legislation repealed or added, what would it be? I think um, like in terms of financial products, that can be marketed to the general public. 
Um, the one restriction in Australia is the type of securities. So it's, it's only ordinary shares that can be issued under the regulations for equity crowdfunding in Australia. I think if there's one thing I think that would change, um, and, and like the, the regulations I just add that they're, they're okay, like they're, they're not bad in Australia. Like there's, there's probably other jurisdictions that are worse um, than, than ours. But I think in terms of making it a model that can be used for all types of financial services, and whether you're a startup on, I don't know, a, a blockchain or an ICO or a, um, a company that's not necessarily looking at raising equity, but they're using other, uh, other mechanisms to raise capital. I think this would open up more doors, I think, for uh, more mass or collaborative style kind of investments. Well, what would you hope those could look like? Um, like I, I think um, like one, one thing in the, re the regulations is um, investment purposes. So for example, like raising through equity crowdfunding is, is restricted to businesses and their operations. Mm -hmm. um, just that's one change or excluding that investment purposes. Um, so it could, funds could be raised for, for investing in assets, for example, community buildings, for example. Um, well, it depends how you, how you structure some of these things, obviously, but it would create a bit more flexibility and then how it could be used. So um, we, we think it's like for the approach that we've taken with equity crowdfunding, it's, it's, it's fine, but I think to make it much bigger, um, like you talked earlier about certain, the size, like we, we've done um, tens of millions. We haven't done thousands of millions, if that makes sense. We haven't transacted billions, not yet at least. Um, but if we did want to see other financial products, we probably do need to see an opening up of what securities can, can be provided through that. Yeah, there's two that strike me with potential. The um, shared asset you know, so they can own their own solar grid, substation, hydrogen plant, sewage works, whatever it is, uh, as an asset with a yield, a rent type yield, as opposed to the business itself. Uh, and CCUs, so allowing mutuals, which tend to have, um, I think, a, a philosophical alignment with mass investment. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, we're on the same page there, yeah. Um, okay, so I'm aware of time running down. What I wanted to ask you now was your top three priorities for, as you see it, moving towards, uh, you know, a preferable future as opposed to a dystopian future. Yeah. Mm. Um, I think the, my priority is, is just to create uh, more of awareness of this, particularly the value that's created from not just raising the capital, but the, the inherent value um, of having that many investors involved in your business, um, particularly. I think that's, that's probably the biggest priority because I think through awareness will hopefully inspire people. And again, creating success stories and inspiring uh, industries and, and finders to actually use this model as, as potentially the default. Um, I think secondly, priority would be 
Um, for me, it's 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 experimenting. I think that's it's it's always been in my blood. I think you've known me long enough to know that um, one aspect to I think the success of possible and virtual has been constantly adapting um, and and seeing where we can take this thing as well. So, um, like I, I I clearly want to. Uh, to play with with different use cases of, of crowdfunding and, and the different industries as, a, as I mentioned about inspiring people but um, just pushing the boundaries um, of what can be achieved from this and uh, my view is like making it uh, very uh, accessible uh, for people to understand how it works and, and I suppose educate investors into the process so I suppose increase the literacy of investment. I think that's um, one aspect. And then hopefully they enjoy it as well. <laughs> the um, third priority. I think more generally, I think see our local companies and brands and, and, and companies that we work with, even individuals actually from a possible side, um, see them succeed not only domestic, domestically, but find pathways internationally for these guys as well. I think that's one of my priorities. I think if we really want to see uh, value credit from this model, um, we should leverage what we've created for these companies and find pathways for them to succeed internationally and create global brands. I think that people will um, be inspired um, to, to learn about and hopefully consume. So, Alan, thank you so much. Um, let me just see if I got it. awareness, like uh, literacy, and then pathways to export would, or pathways to expansion. Would they be the top three? Yeah, yeah. pathways, I think, to potentially exit. Obviously. At the end of the day, like we're talking about wealth creation for everyone. So I think maybe pathways uh, to become large brands and potentially exits through... Uh, through public offerings or uh, through acquisitions. So yeah, that was, that's pretty good, yeah. <laughs> that's, as good as, that's as probably as good as I can do, yeah. <laughs> You've opened up a can of worms, Alan. I'm not gonna let lie it now on the, the three priorities. I'm gonna go back and talk with you about crowd exits as opposed to crowdfunding. So, you know, the, the <clears throat> ability for a family-owned business, a private company to exit to the um, crowd of employees, uh, users, customers, uh, suppliers. How far away are we from that? How, what are the challenges in making that happen as you see it? Um, so I think there's, there's two aspects here. One is um, liquidity for existing investors that have invested in the last few years. And I would add that like uh, a few years is still probably a, a short-term investment where we see probably these equity crowdfunding deals for the emerging companies more as a medium term. So, um, so two aspects, uh, liquidity. One way that we're looking to expand our offering is, is in uh, providing uh, a liquidity event for existing shareholders and hopefully in a more regular basis uh, to give people the opportunities to get in or to get out and, and see potential returns on that investment. The second is, is uh, exits. Um, 
hopefully, like we'll see um, in the next, hopefully in the next 18 to 24 months, uh, we hope to see the first um, exits or the first uh, IPO for, for companies that we've hosted. I think uh, there's a number of founders that have ambitions to do this. Yep. Um, probably not, I would say, <laughs> definitely not in 2020 at this stage, but uh, uh, hopefully in 2021, 22, we'll see uh, first exits for, uh, for some of these early investments. Um, the exits as in traditional exit to an IPO. I, my question is more around um, business planning and succession of a sale to a crowd. So uh, I'm going to use some data. I don't know if it's still accurate, but the average uh, business owner is well over 60 and uh, doesn't have a succession plan in place. Yeah. Uh, particularly in communities like uh, regional communities, the loss of a business uh, might give people cause to be concerned and become active investors. Uh, one of the issues though, I think is that most owners don't know, uh, unless there's a trade sale, which somebody has got to be willing to pay you a multiple and usually in one transaction, uh, or unless there's an IPO, which, you know, necessitates 400 investors and a huge amount of uh, size, do you see crowd funding becoming crowd exit and providing for those smaller business owners an opportunity to exit whilst the crowd gets an opportunity to buy a business? Yeah, yeah. Um, so the... The logistics or the, uh, the structuring to do these deals through equity crowdfunding as we have it at the moment, yeah. there is restrictions because we, we can only issue new shares in these businesses. So in the case of um, acquiring a company that's already operating, um, like it, it does take a bit of a structuring to, to get that right. Like we, we have seen it for the likes of Food Connect, kind of, in the in the sense that they're buying the asset in the warehouse. Um, yeah, it's it hasn't been widely adopted actually yet, and it's it's not probably it's definitely not the the uh, typical pitch that we're getting at the moment. So, but there's definitely an opportunity there. Yeah, as as we know, like there's um, I, I see this even internationally. Like we have. Um, I, I spotted a startup more recently um, where they set up and their differentiator is that they're more efficient at getting a, an equity, a private equity deal done to acquire a business or to, to take a majority stake in the business. Um, and I thought that was very interesting. And in my view, there's no more efficient way of raising capital at the moment than equity crowdfunding. Like uh, in Australia particularly, like the timelines to raise capital, unless you're, everyone's just like uh, hanging out to invest in you. Um, like it, it's the time and the process that goes into raising capital is, 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 is a very lengthy process. It's generally seen as like a three to six months if you're lucky. 
Um, and yeah, to make that more efficient, like if we can make it more efficient for that crowd to exit, yeah, that, that, that's a very powerful model as well. So. Okay. I'm aware I've completely blown our hour. I'm going to ask Gareth to rejoin us and um, uh, share the, the, uh, the draft version of the diagram. You there, mate? Yep, coming, coming, coming. <laughs> right then. So, uh, where did we get? So, yes, so we start off with my, my questions around here, around the... Yeah. Um, but so I mean, the, the early indications are that the, you know there is something to the idea of the, you know, of, of the crowd funding or the crowd rewards making a difference. Um, and I think you talked then about um, you know your experience of leveraging PayPal and Stripe and being on in that, and then the sort of the the some of the constraints that China in particular had around things like earlier pandemics and shutdowns accelerating those some of those platforms. And so there are, are new models coming in that are even disrupting just relatively recent ones, particularly Ripple and when you talked about Flash FX. Um, I'm not going to do this in quite in order because I'll go I'm going to end with your priority. So um, so then the equity crowdfunding in the pandemic. So there's there's this this idea of you know Investors being cautious and the sort of capital withdrawal. On the other side, starting to see that there are some of certain size, you know, who are going out and there are people who are, uh, who are um, investing in them and being supportive. So companies are more embracing this model. So there's almost this kind of bit of a bridge there. And I think you kind of, it's where we started to step into some of the other um, ideas about changing the regulations to support, you know, completing that bridge from, away from the cautious capital to you know companies being able to embrace this so and in particular sort of other financial models you know looking at assets with a yield ccus and that's where we kind of uh explored up here particularly with the crowd exit so um the idea of um exiting to customers or employees um so you pointed towards you know hoping for ipos in the first um, 20, 18, 24 months, but this exit to customers maybe is a little bit more untapped. Um, so we do have this kind of opportunity there in the sense that there are a number of businesses, you know, people in their 60s with no succession plan. There are problems with the kind of trade sale and IPO, not least um, that that's a slow process. But on the other hand, there's also the restrictions at the moment that are imposed on the equity crowdfunding that sort of don't support this. So you can only invest in shares. It's not particularly well understood or adopted. The flip side to this is that, you know, equity crowdfunding is the most efficient way to get funding into a business. So if the regulations can be bridged across that, there's a huge opportunity that not only means there's an ability to, for locals to invest in a business that may otherwise just stop when the when the owner decides to exit if there's no other way it's you know it's a distributive in that sense but it's also a more efficient process uh and then we had uh well i hope we've got the top sort of three things so you know awareness um you talked about you know creating awareness not only from the capital but that you're having the benefits of having that many investors in the business so that advocacy um the literacy 
Um, and you know, there's a bit of a kind of this idea of experimenting, adapting, and trying the different use cases and industries around that. And then, um, you know, looking at the the successes that have been with local companies and individuals on both the reward-based and the equity-based, and saying how how can we turn that into international success? How can we expand that out and turn those into use the the platform that's already there to turn that in, those into international successes? Awesome, thank you, Gareth. Um, Alan, is there anything that we haven't captured in, that you've said that you really want to put on that uh, chart? Otherwise, we'll have a little edit post-production and, and get it back to you. But is there something there that's obviously missing from your point of view? Um, I just noticed I say you're uh, at the section we talked about payments and innovation. Um, yeah. One thing I've noticed actually in China, like more recently, I don't know if you've call, come across this company called Pinjuju, but it's not so much crowdfunding, but it's, it's more of the group buying. And uh, I think it was super interesting that payment innovation in this case had allowed these rural farmers to engage consumers. Uh, and I think that's a movement in itself. Um, and it's been led by technology disruption, um, particularly WeChat as a service. Um, so allowing people to group buy from a rural farmer, cutting out all middlemen. Uh, I think that's phenomenal. And I think it's something that we'll hopefully see, I think, coming through as a, as a general trend. Uh, what, did, what was the name of the team? Um, so the, the platform is called Pinduoduo. It's actually the the fastest since what do you call a a, a billion dollar company when it gets to a hundred billion? Decacorn, uh, isn't it? Instead of a unicorn, yeah. a decacorn. No, I think it's the next one. I think a decacorn is the ten billion. I think it's the next one after that. Wow. Okay. Um, complete wow. figments of imagination. I've never understood this. If you're going to get into horse metaphors. Why unicorns, which have like a horn are really hard to give birth yeah. to? Why not Pegasus? Like, why? Like, I don't get the horse metaphor. Yeah. So, duo is spelled D U D U O D U O G O G O. Yeah, cool. Thank you. But check these guys out. These guys are the fastest. They've only been around five years. A hundred billion dollar company. Yeah. So. Uh, anything else you think we should put there? Uh, I think you covered it well, I say, and it's a much better summary. I could have, I could have wrapped this up in thirty minutes if I had talked to like Gareth. <laughs> <laughs> well, next time. Next time. Um, Alan, thank you for your time. Thank you for joining us uh, in these community wealth building conversations. Until next time. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Yeah.